Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We need to go into Colorado and be emotionally engaged in the game start to finish and cheer each other on and uh, help each other out out there and play a real strong team game. That's what I'm looking for. That's head coach Craig Ruby, who who just joined us in the fast lane. We're live from Centene Community Ice Center. And, uh, Jamie, we we got done talking with Chief, and then you and I were having a conversation, and it kind of sparked something that you wanted to carry over into this segment. And specifically, you had mentioned a, a word that I had said that really stuck out to you. Yeah, so before we get into that, um, which we will, because I've got four different words written over here, but I go back to, and it sparked something for me, um, as a coach, when I was coaching, I used to say, if you're going to play for me, you have to have the three E's. And players would look at you and be like, what the hell is he talking about? Effort, energy, execution. That's it. That's all I need from you. You need to work your ass off, you need to execute properly, and you need to have that energy. You can't be dragging. And so when I watch the Blues right now, what do they have of those the three E's? They're suffering in those three departments, whether it's effort, whether it's the energy, or it's the execution. I think we can all right now, and even our listeners, think back to at least a moment or two in last night's game and other games where you're like, yeah, there was no effort there, or there was a lack of execution there, and there's certainly no energy there. They're not playing with the three E's. Mm-hmm. So another word that you brought up the chief brought up it's another e word emotion i don't know how you play a pro sport um and not have emotion you know what let me retract that i don't know how you play a sport it doesn't even have to be pro sport anthony when you play softball okay do you not play with some emotion damn right i do but you do, even if it's just having fun yeah there's an emotion we have the home the home run derby we're all playing with emotion there's something there's there's something there to just be flatlined, mm-hmm. I worry about players like that. I worry because if they can't, if you're not enjoying what you're doing right now, there's a problem. If you're not frustrated with what's going on, there's a problem. Like you need to have some kind of an emotion at this point. It's like that the meme where the guy's poking that thing with do the something. stick, do something, yeah, and it's not. There's nothing, no mm-hmm. reaction. That's what I'm seeing out of some of the Blues players, and you know the text lines like, "Oh, we want names." I could give you everybody's name. Yeah, look at the roster. How about this? Pull up the Blues roster. There's your names. But the problem with it is it's not like one or two or three players. It's one or two or three players at different times. So if Braden Shen goes out and has uh, seven or eight great shifts in a row, maybe the ninth shift he's missing one of these E's. Maybe he's missing the emotion. Maybe he's missing the execution. Then you flip-flop it. Maybe it's Robert Thomas. Maybe it's Jordan Cairo. So I'm not going to sit here and say, that guy, that guy is the problem. Everybody blame this guy. Because I think the blame should be spread amongst the entire group. So when I look at that, that word emotion, 
it drives me crazy that at times we're not seeing that from every player. Then I look at the word pride. You got to the NHL or you got to a high level because you're a very proud individual because you didn't want to take the ice and look like a bag of hammers out there. You wanted to be a good player. You took pride in scoring goals. You took pride in playing good defense. You took pride in stopping the puck if you're the goalie. You played with a level of pride to your game. I'm missing that in some of the players. Again, all at different times. Then I look, at, we have the word effort. We have that. We already talked about that. And jam. Not like peanut butter and jam, Anthony. I do like that. I do too. And I would like some of that right now. It'd be fine. But jam meaning doing whatever it takes for the ultimate success of the team. And that's something that you need from your players. And I, I remember playing on different teams and having guys that had no jam. And the way I used to handle it, Anthony, um, and love it or hate it, it is what it is, is challenge those guys in practice every day. I would get in their face and make their life miserable in practice. Do you want to know why? I wanted to see how far I had to push them to get the jam. At what point does the dog finally bite you? Right? Mm -hmm. You got to get that out of guys sometimes. And I'm not saying it's a Bortuzzo Sanford thing where you go grab a guy and beat the wheels off him. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But you got to have jam if you're going to play a physical sport like hockey or, or any sport. You have to have jam. Like baseball players, other people say, oh, it's not physical. Whatever. You, you're playing 140 games. At some point, Paul Goldschmidt had jam to go up there and play and swing the bat, even though he was probably injured at some point. Mm -hmm. So for me to look at times and not have players that are willing to block a shot, are willing to just chip it off the glass because that's the right play to make, are willing to take a short shift because the matchups are, you know, lopsided, or change hard, go to the bench with a full effort and don't stop your feet 20 feet from the bench. Taking a hit that you know is going to hurt, that's playing with jam. Getting to the other team's front of the net and taking a beating or whatever it is, that's jam. Clearing out the front of your net, jam. Like, play with some balls, I guess, is another word for it. And I'm not seeing that on a consistent basis from this team. And again, it's not one or two or three individuals. It rotates. It moves around the team. It jumps. And until you get all of these things, until you get some of this taken care of, like, you're not going to have the success that you want. And what ticks me off about it is you have a coaching staff. All three got four guys with the Pregni tabs. All four of those guys played with jam. Didn't like playing against any of them. That tells a story. And they coach the same way. They expect you to bring that to the rink every single day. And right now, the team is not. So when we get that, that, that little crowd of people that, want to fire the coaching staff or move on from the coaching staff, it's the players. Because let's just say hypothetically, Scotty Bowman, Blues Hall of Famer. You just had him in town. The greatest coach in NHL history. If he stood behind that bench right now, I don't know if the results change. What's Scotty Bowman going to do that Craig Berube is not doing? This is a player issue. And the players need to hold each other accountable, the leadership group, and the young guys if I'm a leader on that team, I'm grabbing the young guys and having a little meeting. I'm saying, listen, you need to make our lives miserable. 
honestly, you need to push us in practice. You need to be up in our grill. In pre- you need to be pushing for more ice time yeah. because the harder you play is going to force us to play harder, too, to stay ahead of you in well, the pecking order. I mean, Jamie, I, w- I, would think, I would think that would come in. I mean, if you're a young player, I, I know that this is a team game, but the reality is you're also trying to up your ice time, right? So when do you smell blood in the water? You have to right away. If it's a young player, like young player, like these these veteran dudes, these guys are fat, dumb, and happy right now. I'm going to take their effing job. I remember getting into it with Trent Yanni when he was here because I was here to take his job. I didn't know Yanni played hockey. Yeah, Trent Yanni, not not that guy, oh. different guy. Um, I believe he's an assistant coach now at the LA Kings. Yans was a good guy, good teammate, but he knew like I was called up. I was there to take his job, and I I I mean I put the pedal to the metal every single day, not because I wanted to take his job but I wanted to earn my job. Right. And unfortunately, he was the guy that was in my way. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is. That's the nature of the beast. Right. So if you, have, if you have veteran players that are being pushed out of their spots by young guys, ultimately, you have success. That's a great point. Because what, what happens then is either that young guy who's pushing hard gets that job or the veteran says, I don't That's think right. so. That's right. Either way, you're, you're moving the needle. My, exactly, yeah. 100%. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. At some point, we're going to be joined by former Blues uh, player forward. I, I, I keep I always go with the defense with you, Jamie. So then when I say you former Blues, it's just de- – Well, yeah, that's another story. Jamie Rivers, at some point, we will be joined by Reed Lowe, former Blues forward. I'm Anthony Stoltz. It's the Fastlane on 101 ESPN. We have What's Trending coming up next. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to find out what's going on in the sports world with What's Trending Now, brought to you by Goodwill. Donate a car and get tickets to the St. Louis Cardinals. Welcome back to the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers, I'm Andrew Marsh, and it's time for What's Trending. Uh, guys, Lamar Jackson, of course, with the whole contract negotiation, him being injured, we really didn't have a chance to discuss that. And, Anthony, I know you wanted to somewhat dive into the whole situation with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, Marsh, you know, we will obviously get to a lot of predictions and thoughts on the on championship Sunday but yeah we haven't we, we haven't really talked about the Lamar Jackson uh, spot and by the way 10 minutes from now we'll have Reed Lowe on for, live from Centene Community Ice Center but the, the Ravens are saying all the kind of quote-unquote right things. So you got NFL Network seeing rap reports of the Ravens haven't changed their stance on bringing back Lamar Jackson on a long-term deal. Ravens GM Eric DeCosta told reporters the team is excited to start up negotiations again with, with Lamar. John Harbaugh said in the press conference that, you know, the team 100%, 200% intends to keep Lamar Jackson. That, that was his quote. I don't think that this is a Ravens thing. You know, we, we keep hearing, well, why don't the Ravens just give him what he wants? Well, it sounds like he, he wants the Deshaun Watson contract, which is fully guaranteed, and maybe at some point the Ravens just give in. But it doesn't seem like paying Lamar is the is the issue. It sounds like Lamar Jackson has set his market higher than maybe what the Ravens expected, yeah. and that's, that's where the friction comes in. Here's my question to you guys, though. Uh-huh. If you get the sense that Lamar Jackson is going to be too difficult to sign, do you deal him this offseason to a QB needed needy team in the top 10 
knowing that you could probably charge three first round, three first round picks. That's what Cleveland had to give up to get Watson. Get three first round picks over the next three years. One of those picks, if it is a quarterback needy team, will come in the top 10. Let's say it's Atlanta. They keep getting brought up. You trade Lamar Jackson to Atlanta. You've got three first, you got the, the Falcons' next three first round picks, including number eight this year. Now you have all the ammo. You got the, their first round pick. You've got your own first round pick. You've got multi, you've got first round picks coming up the next two years. You get all that ammo. You go up to number one, select your next quarterback. Hmm. Do you strike while the iron's hot as opposed to? I know he's an MVP and all that, but you, you have to have a sense of whether or not that guy is fully committed to your organization, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I trade him. Do you strike while the iron's hot? No, I trade say, him. Let's go. I, I look at, uh, never mind Atlanta, uh, I, I look at uh, the Houston Texans for one thing. Uh, I look at uh, look at anybody, even the Chicago Bears for that matter. I know they've got Justin Fields, but you, you give them a phone call. Mm-hmm. I look at the New York Jets for sure. And Lamar Jackson does not have a no-trade clause in his contract, so you can move him wherever, and you know you're going to get one of the bet, one of the, the stud yeah, QBs. he doesn't even have a contract. And you plug in one of those stud QBs with a good team, I think you're set. The biggest problem that some of these young, talented quarterbacks have is they end up going to crap teams, and they take a beating. And then they never improve as their confidence gets shot, and they never are able to really be that star in the NFL because they went to a crap team. Now the really special quarterbacks power through it, and you you know within four or five years you've got yourself a Mahomes or a Joe Burrow or a Herbert or like now Herbert's a bad example because him and Burrow were great right away, but look at how many quarterbacks have been swallowed up by the NFL because they went to crap teams. Yeah, you plug in at one of those little stud quarterbacks at in the Baltimore Ravens team, protected like that, and mm-hmm. then like you got other first round picks coming to you also. I do it in a heartbeat. I would too. I, look, I know he won an MVP. I love Lamar Jackson. He won an MVP. I, I don't think that he has always had the best passing game in Baltimore. You know, like Greg Roman, they've had a good ground game, but they just they, they haven't been able to figure it out. He's he's never put Lamar Jackson under center. He's always got him in the shotgun. Like he lim- he to me has limited Lamar Jackson. Now he has also been banged up the next two years. I've often talked about this in reference to the Cardinals. Can you can you eliminate questions in the offseason? Sometimes it's not about just signing guys, just signing the best free agents, just in, just filling holes. Can you also eliminate questions with the, with our Cardinals here? They they didn't outside of the catcher position. You didn't eliminate any any questions. You didn't eliminate the need for uh, the, the question about whether or not your outfield is set. You didn't eliminate the question about whether or not you've got uh, you know the the pitching staff that's going to take you beyond the first round. Yeah. Maybe eliminate the question. Can Lamar Jackson stay healthy? Will he sign a long-term deal with us? What does he want? Well, you trade him, you eliminate all that. I just don't think giving him the Deshaun Watson contract is a solution. I don't think giving Deshaun that contract was a good play. I don't. I don't think Cleveland doing what they did, uh, never mind signing him. I'm not getting into the weeds on the whole Deshaun Watson, his personal life or whatever. I'm looking at it from a football standpoint and from a business standpoint. What did Deshaun Watson ever truly do to deserve that contract? Won a playoff game? Yeah. Good for him, Anthony. <laughs> you know, what's it? T- Taylor Heineke won a friggin' playoff game, too. 
Where was his two hundred and thirty million? He didn't win a playoff, David. No, he, he did. No, he absolutely. Won he a lost to Tom Brady. He lost to Tom Brady. Your guy. Okay, well, there's got to be some crappy quarterback <laughs> that's won a damn playoff game. <laughs> Trent Dilfer plenty. won a Super Bowl. There you go. Joe Flacco <laughs> won a Super Bowl with one of the greatest defenses ever. But my Shh. point is. <laughs> What my point is, is that Deshaun Watson cannot be used as the measuring stick. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, if I'm teams, I'm looking at that as the contract you don't duplicate. Well, I think that's the problem. I think what you just said, Jamie, is why the Ravens haven't been successful yet signing Lamar Jackson. I can't imagine that they they have hesitated to pay him franchise quarterback money. I, I, I just well, refuse. They haven't. They haven't I given him Deshaun. Exactly. I'd be like, hey, Lamar, That's the why issue. don't you forget the Deshaun-Watson deal even exists? Right. They don't They don't want to pay. No, no team does. Cleveland's like, oh, okay, and you went rogue. And now that is the if, if that is the kind of the measuring stick in which all quarterback contracts are going to be drawn up from here on out, that's an issue. The three teams, there's three teams playing right now in the that, that will play on Sunday that have not paid the quarterback. There's a reason for that. Well, they're paying them, Anthony. Otherwise, it'd be illegal. Sorry. They're not paying them franchise quarterback money. Okay. Patrick Mahomes is the only guy. Now, granted, the 49ers, you know, they've, they've got a little money going out to Jimmy Garoppolo, but br- not not Patrick Mahomes' money, not Josh yeah, Allen not money. They're paying Brock Purdy anything. Exactly. So, that's counterbalanced. The Bengals aren't playing Joe, paying Joe Burrow. The Eagles aren't paying uh, Jalen Hurts. And the 49ers aren't, aren't paying Purdy. And because of that, they're they able to have better be rosters. Him at all. <laughs> he's on a, he's <laughs> a walk-on. He might just be playing for free. He's a walk-on. All right, it's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. That's what's trending. We do have the championship Sunday uh, bash coming up on, on Sunday. Helen Fitzgerald's where the 101 ESPN team is going to be. We're going to have, uh, you know, giveaways. We're going to have prizes. We're going to have all sorts of things to uh, to, to give away and stuff at, at Helen Fitzgerald, plus a live broadcast that starts at 11 a.m. So that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're also going to be joined by our guy Reed Lowe coming up. Sweet and low. Lowe's going to come over here, I think, in the next five minutes or so. We'll talk to him not only about barrel chest. Yeah. On Losey, big grizzly bear. He's a good dude. He's so an amazing dude. We'll talk to Reed not only about tonight's game, but we'll also talk to him about That's some of his observations yeah. on this. Losey's not afraid breeze. to spit truth. No, he's not. So Reed Lowe next in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN with Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Salter. Uh, Before I did radio with Jamie Rivers, a guy that I did several shows with, his former Blues forward, Reed Lowe, who's one of my favorite people ever, man. Reed Lowe joins us right now at Centene Community Ice Center. Jamie and Reed are going to be playing in the alumni game tonight uh, against the Wounded Warriors, and this is going to be a fun night. But, Reed, it's just good to see you, man. I love the fact that you got the – you're, you got the drink ready to go. I, oh. You're not messing around. I was just telling Ribs, I was just telling ribs that uh, uh, I got all my work done at noon today. I was out here at about 1130 and cracked a beer. I had actually an 11 o'clock phone call that 
warranted a beer at, at 1130. <laughs> so I'm going to go over after I get done this. I'm going to check in the hotel. I might even take a little 30-minute dirt nap and uh, get after it and after you're that. ready to go. Yeah. The I old pregame it. nap. Oh, yeah. Lozy. I'll find Lozy at the far blue line tonight. Yes, yeah. you will. <laughs> Saucing the puck to him. The only difference is like, me and Soupy are the same that way, but I'll eventually get back. Soupy won't. <laughs> He'll just stand there on his stick, lean on it like Ken Dryden. Yeah. <laughs> Soupy, uh, Jim Campbell, for those who don't know Soupy, uh, He'll come up to me when we're on the ice together, and he just goes, uh, you know, uh, far blue line, far blue line. <laughs> and he knows I'll find him at the far blue yeah. line, and he's like, that just wants to go in, break away, and Soupy hold, doesn't hold back. At He'll all. go, like, bar down. Nice. He doesn't care. <laughs> he's like, it's a charity game. I don't care. We don't yeah. care. I'm, I don't care. I'm yeah. here to score goals. Yeah, that's what I do. So, Rhea, do you, do you stay in shape a lot for these things? Rounds of shape. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't skate a lot, like, fully dressed in hockey equipment it's i just i don't love it yeah. um i love being on the ice coaching kids i help out with the junior blues and i do private lessons in the morning and uh, you know work with my kids teams and stuff like that sure. or friends or whatever uh but getting on the ice i limit it just to this kind of stuff every once in a while if i'm not doing nothing our blues alumni skate out here on wednesdays at 4 20 um so i might come out and hang out and do that but yeah i, I really you know I don't, I don't i don't love playing hockey anymore yeah Lozy can shake and bake though don't let him fool you. <laughs> he gets out there and you know because everybody obviously blues fans remember Lozy for beating guys faces in, absolutely okay? which is great but you know you, you're not doing that obviously no. post-career yeah but Lozy, uh, he comes out, shake and bake. He'll toe drag, you know, backhand, forehand, top shelf. <laughs> I, listen, I just never got a chance to show what I had to do. Joel Quinville, I was like, I remember I was in my third year. He's got to get a couple goals, a couple assists for about halfway through the season. I'm averaging about six minutes a game. And I'm like, hey, Joel, when I was off, I'm like, you know, I really have been working hard in the gym after, like, staying in shape. I was like thinking maybe, and I feel like I'm playing good. Maybe we could just see if I got a couple more minutes on the ice, see what maybe I could do. He's like, Probably not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> he said, no offense, but you're the toughest guy on the team, and uh, I need you when I need you. And so I'll try and get you out there, but let me talk to Larry, see if we can't get you a raise next year. Wow. So I got a raise at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good at least. It was, yeah. was good like that. I remember, uh, I forget what year it was for me, maybe year three or year four. I, they used, we used to have games played, bonuses, and uh, it was coming down to the last road trip of the year, and I needed two out of the three games, but we were completely healthy. And I'm like, oh crap! Like, and it was like, I think it was like 25. Yeah, grand, it's you know? mm -hmm. like it was a yeah. nice, it's a nice chunk, right? Absolutely. To play two games. Yeah. And so uh, I got in the one game, then I got scratched. And oh, he did that on purpose. Probably. He did that on <laughs> Probably. purpose. Probably. He was going into that trip saying you're getting two and a three, but he wanted to make you sweat the last <laughs> one. <laughs> I, and I don't know. I, it's maybe. I don't know if he knew or not at the time about the bonus, but then I know that before the last game, a bunch of the older guys oh, yeah. grabbed him and were like, hey. And then Bergy, Mark Bergevin was a great dude. He, we went out for the morning skate, and then skate was over, and I – I still wasn't sure at that point. Like, you're kind of trying to avoid the coach because if he doesn't talk to you, it means you're in the lineup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, where is he? Like, you're avoiding the coach like the plague, yeah. basically. <laughs> and then I watch Bergie, who's doing nothing, really. He goes down, hits the ice. I'm like, what the heck? So then he calls a trainer out onto the ice, and, you know, Ray grabs him, and Bergie skates off the ice, and then Quinville comes up and says, well, you're in tonight for sure. I go off the ice. Bergey wasn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Bergey, he, he faked an injury Do you, I mean, on purpose and said, you know, my groin, I just don't feel comfortable, you know, whatever. And, and so 
do guys do you guys sure. do you guys typically like know when there's a, a roster bonus or something like that toward the end of the season? Do you guys do you guys typically know? Back then, yeah, yeah for sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Plus it's minus. A little, it's, a, be... it's a little different, right? Like, I think the minimum league salary is like eight seventy five or something like right now. Uh, it seven was, it was, fifty. It was seven fifty. It yeah. was it was two fifty when I played, and when you forgot, yeah, it was one. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like anytime we could get a little bit more, yeah. like whatever we could do to to try and do that. I remember my set my yeah, 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 my third entry le- or my first entry level contract, and then I signed a, a three year one way, and then my second three year one way. Uh, we tried to get penalty minute bonuses in there and the blues and uh, my agent brad divine agreed on some penalty minute bonuses the and they were they, they were they were pretty lofty too and so yeah. was the dollars and uh went right to the nhl immediately <laughs> we don't need a, we don't need the only player in nhl history with uh, 250 plus penalty minute games <laughs> incentivized with penalty minutes yeah so, that's probably okay. a smart idea you bring that up our text line right away obviously they know who you are uh, said, how did Reed Low rack up 57 penalty minutes in one game? Well, I got. Did he kill someone? <laughs> nope. <laughs> it was in Chicago, or not Chicago, it was in Calgary, and Bob Bootner suckered uh, Dougie Wade, and that was when Dougie, he tore his pelvis bone right off the muscle. And so Joel Quinville uh, put me and Bryce Salvador, Tyson Nash, Jamal Mayers, and a- Alexander Havanoff, of all people, out there. And what, they, had, with a they had, like, all, <laughs> he had no doubt, dude. He would shriek like cigarettes in the middle of the second period. I'm like, dude. Go have a dart in, at the intermission. <laughs> Because I was the grocery stick. I stopped the forwards from running into the D, right? Nice. So he'd get over to me. I'm like, did you literally just have that right now? Are you smoking on the bench? Don't worry about it. Uh, but they put him out there, and then they started out. Bob Hartley was the coach in Calgary. And they oh, put boy. out, like, five, like, best players. And I looked back, and I said, really? And my eyes were right. He's like, no, I better change it up. This guy's a Looney Tune. So <laughs> I went, and I had fought Craig Berube in the first period. And I'll say this because I feel like I should have the record. But – I 100% instigated that fight. Craig was on his way out, and I instigated the fight. They didn't give me an instigator, and uh, but if they did, that'd have been an extra 12 minutes. <laughs> That's important for down the line of the story. <laughs> so then we're on the ice, and we skate into the corner, and I grab Bobby Booner, and I just start beating his butt, and then all these other guys start coming in, and we have a brawl, and then I fought uh, Robin Regeer in the same shift. And so the next thing you know, I had three fighting majors. I got three game misconduct penalties, which was 10 minutes each. I had a 10-minute misconduct for instigating, and I had a two-minute instigator penalty. Damn. So if I had 57 I, minutes. dollars worth. Yeah, did. I, I had 57 minutes, but the record's 67 minutes. So if I would have got that instigator penalty, that would have given me 69 uh, and I have the I record. So as far now. as I'm concerned, I got the record. What was it like fighting <laughs> Chief? Uh, you know, like I said, um, it wasn't much of a fight. We kind of grappled in the corner. I hit him with a few, and then he, we kind of just fell to the ice. Yeah. He, he, he was in like, okay, I'm trying to earn a few extra bucks before I go out. I don't need to be fighting yeah. young kids like that are all full of – you know what, and vinegar. Piddle and vinegar. But, that's, yeah. but, okay, so let's isolate that for a second because that, I mean, I think that's an important detail here is guys that play that role, your role. Like you got the young, hungry lion that's mm-hmm. coming up, and you've got the guys who have been there doing it their career. And it's fine as you're going, the middle of your career, even towards like a little bit on the backside. But then when you're getting towards the end of your career, like imagine these guys, and Lozzie, I'll let you speak about this um, for yourself, but if we isolate a guy like Chief, Chief has the most fights, the most number of fights in NHL history. So imagine him, you know, on a nightly basis. He's got a young lion that wants to rip his head off, and he's got to, he's got to oblige. So fast forward to not this point, maybe, you know, but with you, Losey, in your career, 
What was it like towards the end of the career? And you got these young guys, and you're like, oh, really? Well, I didn't love fighting to begin with. Um, it was just that, or you don't get to go to the next level. Um, and then once I was in junior, and I did it a couple times, and I was actually really good at it, and I wasn't getting beat up. I was just handing beatings out all the way through juniors, and then I had more success in the minor leagues, and then I had, you know, pretty good success, you know, other than George LaRock in the NHL. Um, you know, it was uh, it was something that I was I did because. I wasn't really popular growing up as a kid. And when I got into junior and I, I started to protect my teammates, I started to kind of find some friends. And so the really, it was a, for me, it was like knowing that my teammates loved that I would go out there and do that without even thinking twice about it. Um, that was the reason why I love to get, be the enforcer. Obviously I would do anything to make the NHL cause that was my dream. And so if this is all there is for me yeah. then I'm willing to sign on the dotted line for it. Um, so there was that, but as I started to get older and those young guys in the binders started my last year, I spent in Norfolk, Virginia and that every young kid that was coming out of junior was, was chasing me around the ice. Too. And I was like, you know, we had McGrattons and those kinds of guys yeah. in that league at that time. And Cam Jansen's and, and that era of guys as I was on my way out and I was just like, I'm done. And that's, I played 10 years pro and I'm like I'm not coming back to do this again like I'm not going to go play in the minor leagues on a third or fourth line and fight like this like I want to eat soup with a spoon when I'm 45 yeah. that's not going to happen <laughs> if I keep this up yeah. so you know for me I, I, I it was it was just I, I knew it was my time I made the NHL and then we had the lockout and kind of changed the game and I knew that my time was done and so I was cool with what I got and I was ready to get out in the real world and do whatever I was going to do. Well Reed you had mentioned before that you know you, you don't necessarily uh, love hockey like you used to is that part of it just kind of your role and how that how your career kind of developed? Um, either that or just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear I hear hockey's kind of a tough sport, so it's that like, makes sense. It takes a lot of effort, man. It's amazing. They, they want start. you in shape Dude. and all these things. <laughs> I have to stay in shape. I got to get up at six. Come on. No. Jamie, you start about not being popular. I don't know one person that, that has met you that doesn't love you. So it's, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, so you're saying, well, well, okay, Jamie, there's always one. There's he always loves one. me. He loves to have you in the room so he can absolutely rip me. <laughs> and I think I laugh harder than anybody else does. It's the best. Losey is one of the best guys ever. He's <laughs> such a good sport. And, yes, I tee off on Losey so on much a fun. regular basis. Uh, but, no, he's got a big heart. Love him. He would do anything. If I called Losey at 2.30 in the morning, he would show up and be like, all right, sure. what are we doing? Yeah. Where are we going? What do you need? What, and I, te- I tell this to people all the time. Like I, I, Everybody asks me, like, who's my favorite player growing up? Steve Eiserman. But who's, like, my favorite teammate of all time? Absolutely no question, Al McInnes. And – Al just had this special way about him um, that you just felt like you were in the most amazing set of hands when you were on his team. Like, when he was on the ice, it's like, well, Al's out there, so we got nothing to worry about. Like, literally (laughs) that confident. Like, I'm like, Al McInnes is out there. We are just absolutely – and then we had prongs on the other side, and they each played 30 minutes, so one of the guys was on the ice. Either both of them were on the ice on a PK or a a power player, or else one was on the ice at all times. And and so, for me, it was like – if. I like we're sitting at the centene right now and I'm looking out at the lobby and if I seen somebody like roughing Al up right now, I'd probably <laughs> jump over this, run through the glass and tackle the guy. Like because it, it's just ingrained in me, right? Like I remember my fight against Scott Parker. Uh Scott Parker, you know, kicked my butt every time I fought the guy. But the one night that he roughed Al up, I'm like, okay, not today. And and I tell people all the time, because there was moments where I had to get in a fight and just flip the switch on. 
Mm -hmm. That guy's tough. I'm tough. It's the beginning of the season. We're jostling for who the tough yeah, guy yeah, is. Yeah. We're we're trying to build a reputation on our team so that Jamie River can skate around with an extra two inches and an extra 20 pounds without actually having <laughs> the two inches and 20 pounds on him, right? Um, and then that was my role and that was my job, and I was yeah. good at it, and I could fight like that. But if you're messing with one of my boys, there was a unloosening of the screws that happened with me where I really felt almost indestructible. And, and you watch that Scott Parker fight with me and him, and I hit him with six of the hardest lefts I've ever hit somebody with. And I don't know how he went down. And we've talked about it. He's like, dude, you had me so dazed. I'm like, <laughs> why didn't you just go down for me then? You could have saved us some burnt lungs, yeah. you know, because the fight was like a minute, 45 seconds. It was, like, it was a doozy. So that's one thing about Losey that if our listeners don't know, or Anthony, you're not familiar with. For a heavyweight... A big guy. Losey's a big guy. Mm -hmm. The league had a lot of big guys. Losey was very unique in the se from the sense that he could fight forever, and big guys didn't do that. It was like, you know, a couple of big bombs, hopefully the thing's over, somebody falls down, and we're done. And he threw both hands as good as, like, you didn't know if he was a lefty or a righty. So when you got a guy as big as Losey who can fight until you can't even breathe anymore, and he's throwing lefts and rights, he didn't lose a lot of fights. So for him to talk about losing to Scott, the, to Scott Parker, I mean, that's kind of a, a unique situation because Losey never lost a lot of fights. And a lot of guys end up leaving those fights with knuckle marks on their face, on both sides of their face. So very, a bit of a unicorn here. You know, I, it was a – and I appreciate that. I, I learned how to – I was a righty. I was playing in Saskatchewan Junior League as a 17-year-old, and at the end I was mopping the league up. And at the end of the year they kept grabbing onto my right, and I couldn't do it. So I went home that summer, and Del McNeely, a guy that owned a gym that we used to train at, he had a heavy bag there. So I tied a tensor bandage around the heavy bag, and I grabbed onto it, and I got in my stance, and I just threw lefts as hard as I could until my arm felt like it was going to fall off every single day after I was done working out. Wow. And I went back down to the Saskatchewan actual junior hockey league that next year and i'd hit a guy with a right and i just i just had this like again it's i got lucky like i wasn't i didn't train how to be a fighter but i just could switch over so quick that guys didn't even know what was going on so i was like bang 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 and then I'd hit him with the left, and, and I hit, hit a lot of guys hard, and I actually had a pretty heavy left hand, but you don't even have to have a heavy other hand. If you're a lefty and then a guy, you know, if, you're, if I'm like this and I'm taking and people can't see, but I'm taking him kind of on the chin, and all of a sudden I could get a slap like that, and that's on my face, and it's kind of like, whoa, where'd that come from? It's startling, it's, and then you don't know what yeah. the hell to grab. Yeah, and so, yeah, <laughs> and then you're just flailing, right? Um, but if I ever got out of control in a fight, I'd always just kind of regroup, get back, and I would just hold guys out and jab and try and really wear guys out for the first 45 seconds or so and then just try and finish them off at the end of the fight dude awesome reed you still doing your wines uh yeah still have the beverage company um give yourself a little plug yeah a little plug yeah um you know a lot of the people probably wouldn't know a lot of the products because we're small boutique but um we bring a lot of new products into the state of missouri and try and get creative with different on-premise which is like your restaurants your bars that kind of stuff and then our off-premise which is like your fryer tucks and we're in schnooks with a bunch of our stuff but nice. we just got this new tequila in called uh, black sheep and it just won uh, uh anejo of the year at the san francisco uh wine and spirits nice. festival wow. which is the best one because you've got all those superstar people that have these tequilas now because it's the hottest oh thing. yeah yeah but these guys are farmed a bottle. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be in Friar Tucks and wine and cheese and everything starting in February. They had to create a different bottle because their first bottle wasn't working in the off-premise stuff. So take a look for uh, for Black Sheep here soon in the St. Louis market. The owner of the company is from St. Louis, so nice. we're gonna have a little splash. We're gonna have a little party yeah. in April here. Uh, have a little concert outside. So I'll be back to talk to you about it. All Good. right, Jamie. I I and I'm uh, expecting a couple of cases of that. Yeah, for sure. In, in it's my beautiful place. Right. Beautiful. I asked Reed. 
I don't know. I don't know when this was. This was years ago. I asked Reed. I'm like, hey, because we had done some shows together. So Reed, let me come over, watch some hockey games. I think the, the playoffs were on. Let me come over. Oh, he did that to you too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it <But>. got weird. <laughs> did you wake up with a headache? Couldn't remember anything. <laughs> Sorry, Anthony. Go ahead. I think that was me. He's giving me all the wine. But so I went. I went. We, I went over to your house, and yep. uh, you're like, you like wine? I'm like, no, I'm not much of a wine guy. He's like, you're gonna try this. So opens up this. I mean, you you have I don't know if you still have it or not, but like he's got these ca- cases, pairs of everything. He's like, oh, oh yeah, Lowe's he picks them right too. We uh we solved a lot of the world's we problems did. that and night. And you learned a lot about wine too. I did, yeah. yeah not drank, so much about hockey, but <laughs> we were, wine. We were <laughs> we were drinking some cake bread and some silver oak. We were we were good, good stuff. stuff man. You know, yeah. I can't invite him over and give him the crap. No, <laughs> no, we gotta, I would have known. That's yeah. the funny part. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, but, oh, you, but now you like red wine, so you're good. Yeah, solid, man. So Reed, it's always good to see you. Have fun tonight, man. I will. Thanks for having me on, guys.